Welcome to Discovery Bible Study for James Chapter 2, Part 2. Where today we will discuss the difference between adultery and murder, and which of the two is more serious to the average person. In application, we'll talk about favoritism and even apply it to the medical field. Welcome to Discovery Bible Study on Front Porch Report. Here, every other week, Sam and I look at a chapter from the Holy Scriptures and ask a set of simple questions. What does this text say about people? What does it say about God? And what does it say about the Gospel? From there, we use the insights we glean to discover how the passage is relevant to us and how we can apply it to our lives. This Bible study method is tried and tested in individual and small group settings and is designed to help God's Word speak more clearly to the biblical novice or the master theologian. Thank you for joining us this week, and we pray that this study is fruitful to you and to your ministry. everybody welcome back to discovery bible study james chapter 2 part 2 we're gonna ask all the questions and i'll bring all the discussion that we didn't have time for last time and uh, round us out with some application so without further ado let's get started So to start off with, we are going to just give our general impressions of the chapter um, and then uh, settle into our, our patent pending solve the world section where we just bring up different questions and uh, observations that we might have. So start off with chapter 11 or verse 11. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery, but you murder, you are a lawbreaker. And I just want the person who needed that pointed out to them <laughs> to raise their hand because <laughs> as, uh, as Ron might say, he needs to sort out his priorities. Yeah, I, uh, that, that's an interesting thing uh, to have needed point out. Um, for me, I, I don't like reading the book of James because like every time I read the book of James, I feel like I just got punched a bunch. Like, it's just, it's not a fun book to read. You don't read the book of James and are like, man, I just like that Psalm really spoke to my soul. And like, I think of daddy God up on the cloud and he just loves me. And it's like, you're doing everything wrong. Fix your life. I'm gonna keep beating you up. Uh, right, and it's just very aggressive, and you're just like, ow, every time you read it. And that's a good thing, don't get me wrong. Uh, you know, we do things that hurt us, that help us all the time. Getting a flu shot, you know, it's not fun, but it helps you not get the flu, things like that. Uh, gentle plug, get your annual flu shot. They'll be coming out next month, probably. Yeah. And I, you know, we talked the first week about how James is closely related to the Sermon on the Mount. 
And so when he talks about not committing adultery and not committing murder, it calls me back to what Jesus said on the subject, right? Where it's not just adultery is not just having an extramarital affair. It's also just looking at anyone lustfully and murder isn't just killing someone. It's being angry at someone. So I guess if you break it down to that level, it starts to make a little more sense. So it's like for he who said, don't look lustfully at someone also said, don't get angry at someone. So if you don't look lustfully, but you get angry, then you are a lawbreaker. Um, and ultimately what all that, all that does is to really, like you were talking about, break us down and make us realize how broken we really are. Because if you don't know how broken you are, you're not going to go get help. That's part of the belief leading to action thing, right? If you really think that you need help, then you're going to seek it. You're not just going to continue to sit in your own sin. For me, another thing that bugs me is when people go to prayer meetings at their church. God, man, I just pray that you be with the homeless people in the city. And I just pray that you help them know that they are loved. Uh, and then you don't do a single thing about it. Like, God's like, that's what you're here for, right? Or if you're praying for the victims of sex trafficking in your city, you're like, God, just be with them. And you don't do anything about it. What are you doing? And don't get me wrong, I believe fervently in the power of prayer. I, I honestly do. And this is not to dissuade prayer. But if you are, are just throwing these, these faulty prayers up and are not getting involved in your community, then what, what good are you? What good is it to, you know, you know, you're, you're looking at someone and says, oh, be well, stay warm, be fed. And, you know, what good is it if they don't have the capability to do that? Um, and so I love that, you know, the church I'm a part of, the church that you're a part of, Taz, uh, those are two separate churches, but they're both fervently involved in their communities. I think of um, Watermark's network of care clinics that they have for people to come in if they need uh, medical care uh, that uh, if you're unable to pay, they're, they're not going to hunt you down. Uh, and it's, I think of, you know, partners that, you know, Alamo Community Church downtown has made in the community and how we're, we're getting plugged in with community partners in order to help meet the needs of the community where we're at. Because if we look at Jesus and Jesus uh, always meets this physical need before he meets the spiritual need whether that's i'm about to get stoned and and killed or whether that's i've been bleeding for years and no one's been able to help me so yeah uh, it, it's convicting so be involved in your community that's that's one thing uh, i know that's quasi-application but oh well uh, i'll probably repeat it then too And I mentioned the other week when we were talking about partiality, how easy it is for us to look at someone who maybe looks a little more like us or looks to be of higher status or even agrees with us and show them partiality, say, okay, you're the one that's going to sit with me. The other person goes over there. And, you know, one element of this is James is probably writing to a group of Messianic Christian or Messianic Jews that meet in a synagogue. And for a synagogue, just like a church, you need people to give their tithes. You need money to be flowing in to maintain the building, keep the lights on, uh, in their case, keep the oil lamps lit, right? 
And so it would be from a business perspective to your advantage to show partiality and favoritism to the rich person that comes in rather than to the poor. But uh, God is always kind of subverting those good business-like uh, qualities and tendencies. You see it all the way through the Torah where he's telling people to, you know, spend a whole year every seven years not farming and saying, oh, well, don't worry, I'll give you enough in the sixth year that you'll still be eating it in the ninth year. And from a human perspective, that doesn't make sense, but God's always using the, what seems foolish to shame the wise, right? And so in, in our lives, what does it look like to vigorously pursue relationship with the people that aren't going to benefit us from a worldly standpoint, from a social standing or whatever it might be, um, simply because they are co-heirs with us in the kingdom of God, brothers and sisters, right? And it's just a, a really fascinating thing. And he doesn't take the time to necessarily explain all the reasonings behind that. He just takes it as a given as like, hey, this is what you should be doing. And that's one of the cool things about, about the Bible, right, is that it builds upon its own logic to the point where by the time you get as far into the book as, as James, then you should have established a, a sort of worldview and perspective that leads you to see this as a, as a natural progression. One of the things that I wonder in this text, and I alluded to this a couple weeks back, um, but I wonder, did James realize that he's, he's talking about great, 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 great granny when he's writing about Rahab? I mean, they had impressive genealogical records. Don't get me wrong. Like they, they really did. But I, I don't believe at this point, I, I, and I could be wrong. We can look this up, but I'm wrong. But I'm fairly certain at the point of this writing, the Gospel of Matthew is not recorded um, in written form. I'm fairly certain. So it's not like there's widely spread copies of James's genealogy, James being the biological brother of Jesus, therefore they have identical genealogies for clarification. Uh, it's, it's not just floating around, right? And Luke definitely has not written his gospel at this point. So, you know, does he, does he know he's writing about great, 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 50 million times granny uh, when he references Rahab in 25? I don't know. Well, he would probably know that he is descended from David. So let's see if we can find a genealogy of David and whether it includes Rahab. Yeah, so then he would definitely know because the, the Masoretic text would have included in the book of Ruth. Well, okay, I'm looking at that. Okay, so we've got Perez, um, Hezron, fathered Ram, Ram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nishan. Nishan fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, uh, Jesse and David. So uh, that's actually a, a good point, though, because Matthew is sort of unusual in that he includes a few of the women in his in his list. And I don't think that Joshua mentions who Rahab ends up with. And so Matthew must have gotten his source from somewhere. Maybe he even got it from James but we don't necessarily have Rahab being mentioned in that Ruth genealogy. But it's weird because that Ruth genealogy does mention women uh, because Perez is a woman. Um, no. So, no, Perez yeah. is a... Are you sure? Perez, Perez is a woman. I don't believe you. I'm going to do a word study of Perez. So he was called Perez, Genesis 38, 29. Boom. 
I'll eat my hat on that one. <laughs> it doesn't look like Joshua mentions who Rahab ends up with. It's a, oh, but when Joshua is written, it says she lived on in Israel until today. So she was still around by the time that story was done. And then other, other mentions of Rahab are mostly in the New Testament after that. Unless we're talking about Rahab the sea monster and Job. What if Rahab the sea monster was Rahab the woman? That would raise many more questions than we have time to discuss today. So I'm, I'm looking at verse 26, and it says, For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. And I'm wondering, because the, the, that word study I was talking about where, oh, the body without spirit. So like, you know, the body without breath is dead. Faith without works is dead. So you've got like this husk that doesn't do anything, right? That's what a body without breath would be. So faith without works is like a husk that doesn't do anything, which fits within our, our little method of talking that we're, that we're discussing here. And so now we are going to move on to application because this whole passage is basically application, but we'll pick out a few different points to discuss and um, see how they are um, especially relevant to our lives today. Because why is application important? Because it's not the Hunger Games, Sam. <laughs> what? <laughs> You mean this isn't just a fascinating story? And it's not a philosophy textbook either. It's, I mean, the reason why James is writing this book is because he thinks that what you believe is important in as much as it influences what you do. And so we need to understand what we believe and why we believe it, yes. But if it doesn't influence what we do, then it's all just a pointless exercise and we might as well be discussing, you know, philosophies in a fictional universe like Lord of the Rings, right? And so when we look for application, it's because we believe what the Bible says is true. And because of that belief, it causes us to act according to God's precepts or his instructions. And so what is God saying to us from this text? I think for me specifically, um, and I brought this up earlier and I hinted that I'd bring it up again. So I'm going to beat this drum again. And so your church should be actively involved in your community and you should be actively involved in your church and your community. Um, and that's for me. I haven't done uh, nearly amount of stuff I want to do. In the community here, I, I have worked with a, a food shelter. Why uh, did I say food shelter? Food pantry. Um, that's the word I was looking for. Um, and I think that um, I want to do more of that going forward, uh, working with food pantry to deliver food uh, to people, maybe do some things. Uh, the medical school has some opportunities for us to do ministry uh, and medical clinics to uh, with the homeless population, which is really cool, but also like 
a little intimidating if you've never done it. And so uh, that's something I'm looking into for sure. Um, and for me, I'm going to lean into the, the part about favoritism and just it's easy to be individualistic and not think of ourselves as indebted to each other due to the image of God. And so um, sometimes I can just want to avoid contact with other people, especially if they're different than me, especially if they're no benefit um, obvious benefit to me to, to talk to. And um, I want to be stronger in that area of reaching out and having meaningful conversations and building relationships with other people because we are all co-heirs of the kingdom of God. And, you know, even if I wouldn't choose them, God already has. And the fact that I believe that can lead me to see things that my own human fleshy eyes would not normally see. And I think that point is even like more so important for those of us in healthcare tests, um, because uh, you're talking to a person who's in medical school and the other half of the cohort is a nurse in the hospital. Uh, so, uh, um, if we, we think of some medical application, then forgive us because that's our lives. But you know, do we see the Imago Dei in our patients? Are they people made in the image of God? Or are they just bodies that are getting carted in front of us? And I think it's important to stop and view God and the other person. Not that the other person is God, but that the other person uh, is made in the image of God. And that's really important. And how easy is it to be, you know, I was wearing tea before this and, um, you know, it's really easy to be cynical when you're on, you know, a 2 a.m. call and, you know, the person is schizophrenic and is having an episode and you just want to easily judge them and castigate them. Um, and then, you know, you deal with uh, maybe an affluent person who's in a Mercedes Benz that got rear-ended uh, and, you know, has whiplash or something. And you, you may want to treat those patients differently uh, and you can't because that's that's not right, you know. And so both of those people are equally made in the image of God, and, and both are worthy of the highest standard of care that you can give them. And so I don't, don't know if any one of our listeners is in the medical field, uh, but if y'all are, uh, you know, maybe that's something to think about. Thank you for joining us this week in Discovery Bible Study, James Chapter 2, Part 2. Next week, we will be back with another episode of Middle Ground, where we will be discussing what's going on in the world today and the worldview implications behind it. And then join us again in two weeks as we begin our study of James Chapter 3. Hey, Tess. Hey, Sam. Guess what I got? Is it a hot take? It's a piping hot take. Just got it out of the oven. Okay. A person elected to Congress, whose name I shall not state, made a statement saying that coronavirus had to have been made in a lab because, and I quote, God would not make something that causes harm. Tess, debunk this. Not necessarily the lab portion, but debunk the terrible theology. <laughs> That's a... 
That's a, um, a fascinating statement. Um, I wonder if this person has ever gotten sick before, um, because people have been getting sick for thousands of years prior to the invention of labs. Yeah, you know, I don't think that God necessarily created things to do harm to people, but whenever Adam and Eve sinned, uh, Romans chapter one says that creation began to groan in longing for a savior because the curse was not just applied to humanity in an emotional way. It was applied in a physical way. Um, our bodies would now grow sick and die. Thorns and thistles would grow from the ground. And uh, one aspect of that is that diseases would come that would affect the way the body exists in its equilibrium, change it, cause problems discomfort and even death. And, um, you know, scientifically, we can look to the ways that these diseases form, uh, mutate, grow and change. And, you know, coronavirus, whether it happened in a lab or happened from nature, it followed the same path. And it's not that God zips something into existence that would do harm to people. It's that um, creation followed its natural processes that God set in motion at the beginning. And now we are facing these kinds of consequences in a specific way, which is um, called, you know, SARS-CoV-2 or coronavirus or Delta variant, whatever name that we have for it now. For clarification, I am not saving whether or not I believe in the Lab Lake theory. The jury is still out on that, but... Theologically, I think that this congressperson, whoever they are, is very, very wrong. <laughs> wrong. My favorite is another congressperson tweeted at them. Uh, they posted that argument on Twitter, and another congressperson tweeted at them and said, tell me you haven't read the Bible without telling me you haven't read the Bible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Casual. Thank you all for joining us this week. Front Porch Report is a passion project by a group of people who love Jesus and want to spread his word. Our hosts are Taz Turner and Samuel Hinckley. Our theme song is If by Beautiful Eulogy. We are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like what you hear, please give us a rating and share this episode with your friends so that we can continue to spread the word. If you'd like to get in touch with us, Follow on Twitter, where we are at Front Report, or send us an email at thefrontporchreport at gmail.com. We'll catch you next week. In the meantime, stay safe out there. What should we call this one? <laughs> after hours you can't see it but i'm definitely making a face <laughs> i want to make a joke really bad but i don't want to get a cease and desist letter from public figures so i won't oh this this ring ring is when you flip it Mine doesn't do that.
Um, I didn't drop some of my chair creak because uh, my chair is creaky. I found it on the side of the road. Not kidding, but hey, it's free. I hope you know that I will cut that entire monologue out. <laughs> I, I hate you. <laughs>